Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Hello and welcome to the Promised Land, a show about Manchester United and part of the 90 Min Podcast Network. I'm Scott Saunders, joined by Rob Blanchett as ever ahead of. Rob, is this the biggest game of the season? The FA Cup final I'm talking about, Manchester United versus Manchester City. The biggest game of the season. And where does it rank on the biggest games of the last even last decade since Sir Alex Ferguson left, because it's it's up there. I think it and it's gone under the radar a bit. I think it's the biggest game of the season for Manchester City so far. I don't know if it's the biggest game for our football club, and I keep saying this, and I'm going to stick with it. This is a free hit for Manchester United to really change history. You know, like I've seen so much content, Scott, in recent days of people going, "Oh well, if City lose and it's a failure and it's terrible on them." Uh, excuse me, the last time we played Manchester City, we beat them. Does people remember that from December? So, um, yeah, it's a massive game, isn't it? It is. In the context of football, at the end of the season, the FA Cup final, all of those things are real totally, and we want to win it. Like, there's no doubt about it. And do you know what, Scott? I think we can. What's the dream scenario? Is it Val Vecourse scoring an <laughs> extra-time winner? <laughs> Uh, years ago, I used to talk about the ball going off the backside of John O'Shea. That was always my little analogy. It's like the ball goes off the backside of John O'Shea and you win 1-0. It's great. That's the best. But yeah, let's put Val in there. Can you imagine, for me, Val, extra time? Let's say extra time. Yeah, we're in extra time, 115th minute, and Val does an overhead kick from the penalty spot. Nah, I reckon he goes to, like, shoot, like, you know, from six yards out. <laughs> it bobbles up his leg and off his shoulder. Yeah. And into the net past Edison. Or, or, or he, he kind of takes a touch and miss kicks it so badly that it smashes Carl Walker in the face, hits the crossbar, bounces just behind the, the line, and the referee looks at his watch and it says goal. That would be pretty good, wouldn't it? So, look, I think the thing is, is that if we use logic to explain everything in football, and that's kind of what I try and do in my job, then some of that is a bit boring, I think. In this scenario... Anything could happen. It really could. Like, you could get hammered. You could go in and nick a victory. You know, when we beat them, Scott, not so long ago, which was like, what, six months ago now? We had 29% possession that day, and we won. So possession is not going to win you this game, yeah? It's going to be a mixture of luck and maybe some endeavour. So, yeah, Valk could be the guy, couldn't he? You know, like... Is this his moment? You know, like he hasn't scored at all this season. He hasn't helped us put the ball in the net. Twice, but not in the it's not in the league. Twice, but do you know what? He has helped us. He's helped us get to our 
end agenda, which was Champions League and a trophy. He's got a winner's medal in his pocket this season already, hasn't he, from the League Cup? So, you know, we'll always have that moment where he runs to the Man United fans at Wembley. Can you imagine if he's repeating that when it comes to the FA Cup final? We'll talk FA Cup final later in the show. We are, as we record this, about 30 hours-ish away from kickoff. So if you haven't... Well, make sure you listen to this before the game starts. Uh, I'm guessing that you are, given you're listening to me say this. So anyway, uh, we're going to also going to talk Mason Mount today. Before we'll come to the cup final at the end, we're also going to talk Mason Mount, a bit of Yuri Tielemans, some Randall Colo Muani and Rasmus Hoyland chat. We'll talk about if they're the right profiles and what United are planning to do in the summer. Uh, and obviously. For the game itself, there's some injury news as well, which is not ideal. But we will get to that later, in our, later on in the show. You can subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcasts and watch us on YouTube, usually twice a week, Tuesdays and Fridays. So head over to the channel, like, subscribe, and leave a comment for us as well. Follow us on Twitter too, at underscore Scott Saunders, at underscore Rob underscore B, and at Promise and MU for the show. Rob and I have been discussing off camera before we started recording that I think we might even do a special post FA Cup final episode as well. We do usually like to give it a few days to let the steam cool, you know, let let everything cool off a little bit and have a reasoned take on proceedings that have that we've seen have unfolded on the pitch and off the pitch. But maybe I'll be at Wembley, so I'll have an up close and personal view of how this game goes. And maybe we'll do an episode for you just after the show. So keep an eye out for that as well. Rob, we also have an announcement. Do you want to do it? Or do you want me to do it? You can do it. And then I'll, I'll tell you what I think about it. So we, Rob and I, and our producer, Harry, will be flying to Las Vegas at the end of July to take part and attend United Con 2023. It is a fan convention for Manchester United fans from all over the world to attend. It's based around, it's based in Las Vegas, so we'll be there uh, congregating and speaking to a bunch of United fans. We'll also be attending the Man United versus Borussia Dortmund fixture in preseason in Las Vegas as well. Very, very exciting. We will be there July 28th to July 30th, 2023. So it's a little bit away yet, but you can get your place booked now. United-con.com is where to find more information. Uh, you can we'll promote this as well on the socials, on 90 Min socials as well over the next weeks on 90min.com as well. Rob, thoughts? Yeah, it's a cool thing to do, isn't it? You know, I think the the money shot here, I'm just saying about money shot in Vegas, you know, that works pretty well, doesn't it? Is that Manchester United, of course, are playing out there. So we will be at that game. Manchester United will play Borussia Dortmund as part of the preseason schedule. Um, we, we kind of want to shoot loads of content while we're out there and kind of talk to players. There'll be a ton of legends being at the, at the, um, at the convention. And I think this is the way like the world is going with fandom, isn't it? Is that fans coming together at conventions? And we see this outside of football, obviously more like I, I think of things like Comic-Con 
and stuff like that, which are huge global events now everywhere in every country because people share a passion together and they want to kind of share it with each other. And then you get to meet some of the protagonists. So if you want to meet this tiny bunch of protagonists from the promised land, we will be there. So come and say hi to us. Uh, but we will, of course, be shooting our show from out there from Vegas. And we look forward to being out there and meeting all the United fans and hopefully meeting some brand new signings for Eric Ten Hag, because no doubt one or two of them will be playing in that match against Dortmund. Yes, united-con.com for more information. We will continue to uh, let you know in future shows about uh, how you can get access to the event yourself uh if you would love to come to vegas to watch uh well to just take part in this we would love to have you there we would love to see you there feel free to come and say hello and uh rob let's talk about transfers then because man united play borussia dortmund at the end of july rob's phone's just going off man united play borussia dortmund at the end of july will mason mount be wearing a red shirt Come that day, if United wear a red shirt, that is. Yeah, it might be wearing a different colour shirt, isn't it? But as long as it's got... Oh, this... God, have you seen have you seen those away kits? I knew you wouldn't like it. I, I don't I mind I like them. the white one. I, I, I quite like... You know the black and white one? It was going, oh, it's a little bit Newcastle. I quite like it because it's a bit more Corinthians to me. It's a bit like the is Brazilian shirts. Well, it's like, it's like uh, yeah, it's dark, isn't it? And it's got like the red pinstripes and stuff. So all of those, of course, are leaked images. They can change. We know this. But I quite like them. I quite like the kits. Like I'm, I think over years I've, got, I've become less opinionated about them and just more a bit like, okay, let's see how they live on you. Because once they kind of come into existence, like you remember, Scott, we were doing a show about the collars last year. And like, it was like, oh, oh, I don't know about the collars. And then, well, a like, month into the season, everyone just likes it. Just like, oh, yeah, I, I like I, it. I'm now. still not. It's not my favourite kit. It's not your favourite, but like, you know, this is, it's, it's a weird thing, isn't it? I, so I'm all right with them. I, quite, I can see Mason Mount in one of those kits looking pretty good for us. Yes. Well, Mason Mount, the latest is that he has agreed personal terms with Man United over a potential move from Chelsea. Things expected to accelerate after the FA Cup final. The difficulty at the moment is that Chelsea and Man United are apart on their valuation of the player. So we've already done the, is Mason Mount a good fit chat? Mm -hmm. Go back to the previous shows that we've done over the last week or so to, for more information there for what we thought. I'm sure we'll touch on it in a little bit as well. But personal terms agreed. I would just like to say, I don't think it's completely out of the question yet that he does U-turn. We saw Karen Benzema U-turn yesterday. I, I I would say if Michel Pochettino manages to convince him and they give him the terms that he wants, I think he might. He would stay at Chelsea. But as, as it stands, there's nothing stopping him agreeing terms with United. And if United can secure a deal with Chelsea for him, then great. I think that will be one of the first signings of the summer, I would imagine. But yeah. What's a fair price for Mason Mount? Because I'm seeing Chelsea are looking at 75-80. I think that's ridiculous, personally. Um, but obviously, they need to set their stall out because they need to fetch as much money as they possibly can. He's got a year left on his deal. What is a fair price for Mason Mount in your eyes, Rob? Well, Chelsea will dig their heels in on, on the valuation. That's obviously what will extend this deal. And you're right. I agree with you. There, there's every chance that Chelsea offer him more money and he stays. I think... It's about exploring the marketplace, isn't it? What what value does a player have in that current marketplace? I think for for Mount, 
between 50 and 60, even with a year left for a player of his age and his stature and what he's already won in the game, his Champions League winner, as I said before, Ballon d'Or nominee once upon a time, England international, he's a very good footballer. So there is, there's value there. But of course, he's not been great as he in the last 12 months or so. So there's a little bit of like haggling there to be done. You know, I do think that, you know, I said last week that I don't think United should go into haggle mode on all their transfers. I think the difference with the Mason Mount one is that it is still precarious. What we do know is that a player, if he's not staying at Chelsea, wants to come to Man United. So I think that's massive because that means you can work with that. You can go to Chelsea and say, this lad wants to join us. You want money. Let's just do the deal. Let's find a way now. Let's do it quickly. You know, this is our ceiling. Your ceiling is obviously going to be much higher, but you've got to kind of meet us somewhere in the middle. I still do think as well, Scott, that it won't go down very well at Chelsea that they sell a player to one of their direct rivals. Oh, yeah. Like that's, I'm that's, seeing that's... a lot of that already. Yeah. And, and, I, and I think that that is a problem. Like, you know, I think if, if Mason Mount was going to buy Munich or somewhere like that, then Chelsea fans would be less bothered. And so would Chelsea themselves. And that deal might get done a lot quicker. Um, but if it comes to Man United and is a, a raging success and is brilliant for us in, in our midfield, it's going to be talked about forever, isn't it? The Chelsea guy that did that. Saying that, once upon a not so long ago, well, it's quite long ago now, Man United did the reverse with Veron. So Veron went from Man United to Chelsea. It was one of Abramovich's first major transfers. He was signed the day Joe Cole was signed as well. They were both signed on the same day. Um, and that was United, 20 years. Was that 20 years ago? It's, it is 20 years ago. I know. It's like, oh my you, God. A bit kind of like this, I kind of think it's a long time ago. But. Um, but yeah, Veron was a, a global talent, a top player, being at Man United two years, hadn't worked out for him. And Fergie sanctioned that to Chelsea. Now, Chelsea and United were not kind of at the same levels at that point. Chelsea were up and coming and about to spend a ton of money with a new owner. Um, but it does happen. That's my point. And I, and I think that if Mason Mount really says, I want to join Man United, which is what he has said, then there's every chance. Once a player does that and can force his way out, great. Will Mason Mount definitely leave Chelsea? I still think that's up in the air, and I think that's I think it's worthy question to ask him because because I think he w- would like to stay at Chelsea. I yeah, think, I, I think so too. He just feels a bit unloved. I think he kind of looks at it and that Chelsea haven't given him the assurances that he wants. Like you think about what they've done in the last year, Chelsea. I mean, given all these kids seven year contracts, eight year contracts, mad money, crazy setups in the deals, and then they've got a kind of existing hub who they're kind of going, well, I don't know what value you've got to us. Mount falls into that category. Kovacic as well, we've talked about him a lot, haven't we? You know, potentially now going to Manchester City or somewhere like that. These players are surplus to requirements for Todd Bowley. So it's really up to the owner here. This is really like the owner versus whoever the player is in that moment. And I think that maybe is why Mason Mount might leave Chelsea. Yeah, I thought about this last night and I did do some tweets on it. Uh, at underscore Scott Saunders, at underscore Rob underscore B for Robin, at Promise and MU for the show. Uh, I think Mason Mount's value is around 50, personally. I, I think yeah. I think that's fair, given the contract status, given the player that he is, you know, this kind of thing. Alexis McAllister is is similar price, but I think Mason Mount's a little... I know McAllister's won a World Cup, but he's only had a few seasons in the Prem. Similar kinds of, you know... I, th- I think similar ages, this kind of thing. Yeah. I think the chat for McAllister is between 50 to 70 at the moment and Liverpool and Brighton are haggling on that. So yeah, similar profiles, especially with Mount's uh, contract status. Chelsea valuing him 70, 80. 
I think there's a happy medium here where I think if you can find like 50 committed and some 10 million quid taken up to 60 and performance related add-ons, which are if Man United win the Premier League or something like that, I think that's probably as fair as it gets. I think 60 is a little bit too much, but if you, I'm no master negotiator at all, but this is how I'd approach it. Uh, But they've got to get it done quickly, Rob. They've got to get it done quickly. And I think it was also, it will shape your summer. Like I've seen, like, again, we we use Twitter as a a kind of voice box to kind of see what people think. And you just kind of gauge the the extremities of the Manchester United fan base. I think a lot of people are saying, you know, if you get Mount, does that mean then you don't get this? You don't get that. And there is that. There is part of that. You know, I think the bigger debate here is that whatever plays you sign for whatever positions, there is this theory that I think is credible that you just simply don't get the big striker that everyone's talking about. That could happen. So if you get Mount for 50 or 60, that will eat into your budget. There's no doubt about it. Um, I don't think that if you get Mount, that means you don't get, say, a Declan Rice. It doesn't mean that you don't get a Kim. You don't get any of these other protagonists that United are kind of looking at. But I do think that it's all up for consideration, isn't it? So Man United pay you know, over the odds for Mason Mount. That will definitely have a... a, a an impact later on in the window it just will it's just the, the truth so it's more about what mount can do for you scott and i still think that mason mount for the profile player that he is he, he could be the number eight that you need people have said oh he's played as number 10 most of his career or played in the forward line that's true but if you talk to mason mount and i think i sent you the quotes earlier on oh, mason, it, mount, yes. mason mount says he's a number eight you go for it scott you tell us what mason mount thinks he is i like to think i'm a traditional midfielder even though i can play a number of roles for the team I've always said that I'm best as a number eight and I've played there ever since I was a young kid. I like to work box to box, help out defensively, but also get forward to score and assist goals for the team. That's where my strengths are. I think I'm versatile so I can adapt and play higher up or a lot deeper. For me in this day and age, certainly being able to play different positions is so key. You see formations change even during games and you can play two or three different roles in a game. So I think it suits him. This totally. United prospect and it's a challenge so i think he would like to play his favorite position like most players do they, they would rather do what they think they are rather than what another manager thinks they are it's classic like the other day wasn't it ten Hag saying that Jaden sancho thinks his best position is on the left but actually Jaden sancho thinks his best position on the right just the manager thinks his best position is on the left so i think we made some mount he's again i wouldn't call him a jack of all trades but he's the kind of midfielder that can give you multiple pieces of value in a football match. And that is why you buy a player like him. He's not sexy. He's not a shirt seller. No one's dreaming of Mount 33 on their back or some rogue number. They just don't feel that. He's not going to be 19. Phil Jones is going. Rafa Varane takes four. There you go. There you go. And he's not, he's not going to be Manchester United's next magnificent seven. That's not who you're buying him for. But if you do buy him, it will impact the transfer kitty. So that's really, I think, what United are looking at. United are very keen on him and he's keen on United. It's really now up to Chelsea. Chelsea need to decide whether they really show the player that they want to keep him. I think the difficult side there, there, Scott, is players don't ask for guarantees of playing time. But I think Mason Mount might already have it in his head that even if Pochettino wants him, Am I going to play 20 games next year? And I want to play 50. And I, and I think he's more likely to play games for Ten Hag in Ten Hag system than he is at Chelsea. Completely fair. I mean, Chelsea are still looking to buy a midfielder. Exactly. Chelsea have already signed 
Andre Santos, who is one of the a bright young prospect in Brazil. They haven't got his work permit over the line yet, but they yeah. will eventually. They've also got Enzo Fernandez, who they spent a ridiculous amount of money on. Who, mm-hmm. yeah, good player, but a ridiculous amount of money on. You got Golo Kante, Ruben Loftus Cheek, Kovacic, all of these players potentially leaving. Uh, but if they get a defensive midfielder and bring Andre Santos through and have Enzo Fernandez, who himself is probably a number eight, mm. you'd think. Where does Mason Mount fit in here? You know, maybe he could be the other eight, but at the same time, Chelsea have to. I think he's on ninety k a week, mm. which is for a. a he's twenty four now, turns twenty five in January, but status in the Chelsea squad should be quite high, you know. So he should be paid, and it's completely fair for him to suggest that he should be paid on par with some of the highest earners. I think the tea lady at Old Trafford is on 90k a week. So it's like, it's, it's, you what know, does that say about Man United. <laughs> exactly. That's my point. You know, like literally the person who mows the lawn at Carrington's probably on like 80 grand a week or something stupid. So, like, I think the thing is, is that Man United have a bigger pay structure than most clubs and not really including Chelsea in that. But I think what's not being talked about enough, and this is, I think, where it will go, is that this mess at Chelsea is like a six months or a year in the making. The vibe at Chelsea, the reason why Chelsea have ended the season as badly as they have is that it is rotten. And these players are not, it's not magically going to feel better about it, even if a new manager comes in. Now, Pochettino is a feel-good guy. He will help that. He will help mend, you know, the wounds at the club. But these wounds are deep. These these players who are now about to be shown the door, Mount can't, could be one of them, they don't look at this owner as being a great owner. They're Abramovich boys. They they grew up in a different world. You know, they were kind of, the players were gods at Chelsea, weren't they, over time? And the last six months have brought a load of youngsters and a lot of the existing players are kind of going, hang on a second, what is this football club again? You know, we're not playing games, we're not trusted, we're not, you know, we're not allowed to kind of be what we want to be. That means players move on normally, Scott. So when something's rotten, you generally have to kind of reinvent yourself. So Pochettino will do that. He will want Mount, but again, what are you going to pay Mount to sit on your bench? Like, <laughs> you know, United will pay him the big dollars and he will pay the big minutes. I think you look at what United need as a number eight and you look at Ericsson playing out of position all year long. Bruno Fernandes has played out of position all year long and that has been a big problem for Man United. This allows you to fix stuff, doesn't it? While playing a, an inter- England international who's got a Champions League winner's medal in his pocket. You could bring him to the football club. He could be a big piece for you, much bigger than he would be at his current football club. 24 years old. Uh, good. Uh, the right age as well. Good age. So, you know, good age. Yeah, very Definitely. good age. Uh, let's talk. Yui Tiedemans has said he's leaving Leicester. Yes. Leicester have been relegated. Going on a free transfer. I don't get the impression that he's high up on Premier League clubs' lists. I think no. there's a, from what I've heard, he's asking for a lot of money because he's going for free. And maybe that is above his station given his season, but he's obviously had some good seasons in the Premier League in the past. Uh, what do you make of this? Because uh, to me, Yuri Tielemans and Mason Mount are, and I'll put Rabio in this as well. These are all eights. For me, these are all number eights. And I think if you're getting Mason Mount, you're not getting any of the others, in my, in, in my view. Yeah. So well, we've just talked to him for 10 minutes about that you might not get Mount because Mount might stay at Chelsea because then, then you have to obviously look at the open market. You do need a number eight. 
So let's talk about Tillemans a bit, little bit more laterally because it was only two or three years ago he was one of the high, highest rated midfielders in the Premier League and if not the world for what he did, you know, the kind of stuff that he does on a football pitch. But what have we seen in the last year or two? Well, Leicester have gone down. He was a big part of that. Um, we do know that Ten Hag likes him as a player and I think if he didn't have huge wage demands that he might be a viable target. I think the issue with Tillemans is that he's one of these guys, I think, that maybe he's pitching himself a little bit too high. I won't be surprised if he ends up, Scott, at like a Wolves or a Crystal Palace or a Brentford. I really won't. I think one of those teams... I he goes to Italy, Potentially. Like, there was that on the table for him before. And, you know, I'm sure he could end up at a, an AC Milan comfortably or even, you know, even a Napoli champions there. So if he wanted to do that. However, the money is in the Premier League. We keep saying this. So even signing a contract at Wolves might blow out the water the whole of the continent. It really might. You might not be getting those offers on the continent. So that's why players stay here, because the money is here. So would Manchester United like him? I don't know. Like I think, again, if you if you have your list of players who you're looking at, Tillemans was someone at Manchester United did look at very closely in scout not so long ago. So I think he's still on the list, but he's not top of the list. And he's certainly not top of the list. I did, I did a poll earlier on just to put out for United fans and said, you know, would you want him on a free transfer? Now, if I'd done that a year ago, that would have been 85% yes. And at the moment, I think it's more like 50-50 or even the other way. I think 60% are saying, no, they don't want him. Because you've got other options, haven't you? And I would prefer Mason Mount, as, as, as myself as a football fan. I prefer Mount because Mount can do other stuff for you. So um, Tillemans, a good player, leaving Leicester, but he's leaving at the bottom of his stock. That's the difference, Scott. You know, you just said about uh, McAllister. McAllister's leaving Brighton at the top of his stock. Like... He's had a great season. As you said, he won a World Cup, but Brighton have been otherworldly. Deserby for me, manager of the season. Uh, on top of that, you've got there that, that McAllister's ready for this move, so they can sell him really at the highest optimum. Not the same for Mason Mount, is it? Mount is maybe someone who's surplus to requirements and you know he's not going to get the wage to he wants. That means United can play that game a little bit more, more kind of assured because this is not a play that Chelsea have kind of outwardly said they want to keep. Right, we've uh, we're twenty five minutes in. Reminder: subscribe to our show wherever you get your pods on YouTube. Twice a week, we might be in and out a little bit. Days might change a little bit over the summer. Robbie, we should even talk about if we change our days. Given Man United will be playing in the Champions League next season, you know, this we're is a probably there. we're going to have to look at that, aren't we? Yes. Uh, head over to the channel, like, subscribe, leave a comment for us on all your audio platforms. Give us a five-star review and leave a comment as well. Please subscribe. Our numbers are growing. Just hit a milestone on YouTube. So thank you very much for that. Leave some comments uh, and we will continue to say thanks on the show. At underscore Scott Saunders, at underscore Rob underscore B and at Promise and MU on the Twitter as well. Let's move our attention to the forward department. Harry Kane is still obviously the target there's still suggestions that United will go for him there's still Daniel Levy digging his heels in so suggestions this week we talked on this show Rob about United's multiple striking options or targets that they will explore uh we talked about Colin Mouani in the past he's mm-hmm. going to be quite expensive I think from from Frankfurt Rasmus Hoyland is the other one from what I understood there was this like a list of established names. And then there's a, a younger box of players 
who United have been investigating. Hoyland in that box. And United have, according to various sources, furthered their talks about both players. Doing their due diligence, I guess, seeing what they can do. Obviously, Harry Kane is still the target, but there's not a lot of confidence at United that they'll be able to get that one over the line. So they do need to look at backup instances. Where do you want to go? Well, it, it all it all exists in totality together, doesn't it? In terms of what's going on with Harry Kane, what's going on with Man United search for a striker, what's going on at the football club at present. We talk about maybe someone like Anthony Martial. So I think when you look at the situation where it is at the moment, Rasmus Hoyland, is that Hoyland is someone who is an up-and-coming name, still only 20 years old. Uh, he's definitely more potential than anything like a finished product. Um, we've talked a lot about Man United needing two strikers, so that would be Kane plus one, Osman plus one, something like that. I think, Scott, the way it's trending and the way it's going to go, and this is this is kind of my, my latest feelings on it, it has changed, is that I will not be surprised because of kind of what we're hearing out of Harry Kane's camp is that Kane is going to stay to see his deal out. Kane is go- knows that in a year's time, he gets the choice of everything and anything. And that's that's very seductive. If someone comes in for a big bid for him now, that might change it, you know. But he's only got a year in his contract, and these things do matter, you know. Play teams don't want to spend like crazy money on Harry Kane because he's going to be out of contract. But someone might. I think when you look at this, when you look at Hoyland, I would not be surprised if United buy Hoyland for around that fifty million mark. Cause that's kind of what would get him out of Atalanta, and they go with him as the first choice next year. Now that might sound crazy. But I think if you're going to spend 50 on Mount, say 50 on Hoyland, 50 on Kim, you might even be in the Declan Rice stakes pretty soon. And then you're talking about all these other positions. There isn't a limitless bottom of money, you know, pit of money. United are going to spend, but there is limits. So it might be that if you can't get Kane, that you just wash that away and go, well, do you know what, Harry Kane, we come back to you next year when you're a free agent. And we go with Hoyland this year. And we build the other bits of the bits that need to be built because they still have to be Scott. You can't ignore them. You still got to buy players. The manager was out yesterday, wasn't he, or last week, saying, I need players. He kept saying it over and over again. He wants new signings. They might go with that collective and go with Hoyland and, and go with him as the, as the primary striker next year, which I think would enter a lot of debate between all of us. But it's a possibility. I don't know. What do you think? I can see logic in it. Absolutely. I mean, I we we did talk about Holland on a show in the last few weeks, and I've spoken to people who've seen a lot more of him than I have. Mm. The common answer was that he's quite raw, yes, and he has four, five in four senior appearances for Denmark, mm-hmm. fifteen in forty-one in all comps this season for Atalanta and his former club. I think it's Sturm Graz, was it? Yep, um, and eight goals in Serie A in 31 appearances yeah. across 1,700 minutes, yeah, which is not outstanding. He's not a, a consistent first choice, even for Atalanta. So it's a massive burden to put on someone like this for a club the size of Man United. There's matches here where he's come off the bench. Yeah. He... He's got 11 minutes, nine minutes, you know, in certain games here, 22 minutes, 10 minutes, 22 minutes. Again, he's not even a regular at the moment for Atalanta as it is. And Atalanta have not had the best season they've had in the last few years this year. Mm. So I see 
I, in an ideal world, I think you sign a Hoyland and Harry Kane. Yeah. Like, but that might not be ultimately realistic in, in the current circumstances. So it depends how you're going to look at it. If you're going to try and get Harry Kane on a free in a year, there's no guarantee they do that, by the way, because that every club in the world will, will want Harry Kane on a free transfer. It's something I could see United doing because even though I don't think it's the right decision, if they feel like other positions need a lot of care and priority, Hoyland doesn't strike me as the guaranteed goal threat that United, that we've been talking about for six months that United need, like a Harry Kane. But they can put the position off and just strengthen it a little bit for a year, develop Hoyland, use Rashford through the middle. Martial shifting him will be difficult regardless. So is there, can he dovetail with Hoyland? Rashford plays there. At least you've got another option in in there that isn't Veghorst and Hoyland has at least a, a bunch of the traits that Ten Hag will want in a striker. Totally. And I, and I think the thing is, it's like, you know, my preference definitely would be that you go get Harry Kane. Like we've done enough Harry Kane content for people to understand what we think about him. Um, but I, I do think that with Hoyland, when you look at Manchester United as a project, you, you still need multiple pieces. And if you've got a limited transfer kitty, which Manchester United have, then you have to spend within those parameters. So if you go and get Hoyland, but you do also go get number eight, Scott, and you might go get your 6-8 as well. But then you go get centre-back as well because you're, you're turfing out your captain. And you do that and you get four or five extra players, but you don't get Kane. There is a logic around that. And I actually think that that might be the preferred logic of this manager because he wants to he wants players. He, the, the value of Harry Kane to you of scoring all those goals is massive. But if you can't get him because of the, the set of circumstances, then you have to just leave it. And get on with it. Don't do what you did with Frankie de Jong last year, where you thought you were in it till the end and you were in it till the end, but you didn't get him and you just had to get on with it. So, like, we don't want that with Harry Kane. And I do think with Harry Kane is that if one club can pay a huge fee for him now, so I'm talking in excess of 100 million, there is only one club, I think, that could do that and might do that. And that is Newcastle United. So I don't think Man United are, are in that position to go and spend excess money on a player or who's going to be out of contract in a year. But I do think that they might say to Harry Kane, right, OK, see you last year out at Tottenham and then we'll be back in a year. And, and this is what we're going to put on the table for you. This is going to be your wage deal. If you want to come here, we'd love you here. Because then you could look at Hoyland, couldn't you, for a year and go, Actually, no, in a year's time, we don't want Kane. Hoyland's turned into a monster. You know, this is exactly where we are. And we're going to save that money and we're going to put it in other parts of the team. So there is that. I think the thing to Hoyland is, Scott, is that he's a little bit old school. He doesn't really, he's not prolific, but there is a feeling around him that he's kind of on the cusp of like becoming special. Like he's not far away. Now, I don't think the evidence is there for Atalanta this year. I really don't. But I get the profile of the player. Like, it's a little bit like we talked about other youngsters in the past. And you kind of go, well, you know, do you go get them now at 50 million? Or if they have a great season next year, Hoyland's going to be worth 100 million, isn't he? So, like, mm-hmm. yeah, so this is what I think where, where Ten Hag operates best. I think he's good at these things. You know, he's really, he's really good at assessing the market and what he needs. So I would not be surprised if we don't see that superstar striker at Old Trafford, but you get a Hoyland, but then that also means you get another midfielder, you get another defender, and it means that you're a better football club and a better squad. And that is really important. Do you want to do anything on Colin Moani? 
Not really, because I think I think again he's a little bit on the outskirts. Name kind of links. I think that's too. I personally think that's too expensive for for what he is like. If, for what he is exactly, and and I think this is kind of where a lot of the the haggling and the negotiating and what you're looking for goes. Don't forget one thing about Hoyland. We haven't said this yet. He's a Manchester United supporter. He loves Manchester United. So where where Harland wasn't a Man United supporter, you know, affiliations to Manchester City and Leeds, you know, not particularly high on Man United as a club going back over time. Hoyland loves Manchester United and he's already said it publicly. He was like, that would be my dream move one day. So I don't think there'll be a lot of convincing with that boy. I think you could get him into the football club on a on a relatively decent deal. It's just obviously negotiating with Atalanta. And I think they're ready to sell. They understand Atalanta, that his player is going and he's probably going to go to a better football club than theirs or a bigger football club, I should say. So, yeah, I, I, there's going to be tons of names, Scott. Every week there's going to be two or three different names now, isn't it? We'll try and cover as much as we can. Yes, indeed. I'm... The Declan Rice thing is still bubbling away. Like, I still think that that's something that Man United are looking at quite closely because I still think he is your kind of generational midfielder who does those things. And I've seen so much comment from United fans saying, oh, he's a six, he's only a six, he can't do this. It's just like, it's like people watch you watch this player play, I don't know. you know. And I think he might be the one where Man United go, right, let's shift our attention to a player like that, if he's suddenly on the open market and there's a price and there's encouragement for to actually bring the player to the club. Yeah, just jumping back to Hoyland for a second, uh, just reading what our latest is on nightman.com. Mm. Uh, Hoyland's made it clear to Atalanta through his agency, which is now, I believe, the same as Eric Ten Hag's. Absolutely. Uh, that he would like to move on because they have failed to qualify for the Champions League. Mm-hmm. He's only been at Atalanta for a few months. <laughs> so he's yeah. been moving. He's moved twice, I believe, in the last 18 yeah. months or so. Yeah. Uh, so it'd be it would be a big step up for him, but I think Atalanta are looking at fifty five million, which is it's a lot. If you like, can get that down. They're not master negotiators by any means, but if they can get that down to sub fifty, yeah, I think that's a good deal. Or if you're not if you're not buying Kane and you know you're not buying Kane and you feel that you've got the kitty to do it at fifty. Mm-hmm. So like the, so th- this is the thing is that like, that every year the kitty changes. Like we might have new owners in a few months, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. We talk about those things all the time. Um, but I think when you look at him, this is this in terms of scenarios, it is very similar to him being at Sturm Graz to Haaland pre Dortmund. Yeah. So it's there's a gambling element here. Like this player could be great there's a lot of people that look at him and go, yeah, he's not there yet. With Haaland, if you've gone and got him when he was at Red Bull, you're laughing, aren't you? You could have signed him to a big contract, kept him. It's the same here with this boy. I think the thing is, you don't want to let him get away. If he has a good season next year and say gets 30 goals next year and develops into that kind of top-class striker, 21-year-old, he's suddenly going to be worth ridiculous money and then you're going to get priced out of it. So I actually don't think 50 is over the top because you're only talking maybe 40, maybe 30, maybe add-ons. You know, we haven't got Ahmed, didn't we? We paid 30 million for Ahmed. He's not kicked a ball for us yet. But next year, he might kick a ball and you might go 30 million. Yeah, was good he business. scored against Milan in the No, Europe. like, come on. Like, it's a great goal, that goal against Milan. But, you know, he's, his life has been at Sunderland. So, like, you know, he's done well last season and he might do well for us next year. But this is why you buy at that bracket at the 20, 30, 40, 50 mark now because you're trying to avoid having to buy everyone at 100. And that's what football's become. That's just the top end of the game. So I, I would not be against Hoyland at 50 if, if you're not getting Kane because you need a striker. Go get your striker early. 
And I quite like the idea of someone that likes Man United and loves Man United and wants to play for them. Mm. So, and that then takes away a lot of these kind of more lateral issues, Scott, at the football club about who do you play? You're stuck with Martial. You want to get rid of all these midfielders because they're rubbish. You've got to find solutions early before you can actually let a lot of these boys go. Yeah, uh, don't we shouldn't compare Haaland to Haaland because Haaland was scoring. I think the anniversary of him scoring nine goals in one game, one youth game went by this week, and he's always scored like way more goals than appearances. And Haaland is not; he cannot hold a candle to that. But it's the situation. Record. It's the situation. Yes. That's how club view view it. It's not the same as Haaland because Haaland's once in a lifetime, isn't he? So, but this is how clubs have to do their business: get them early before you have to pay a hundred million for them. And if you can get them at fifty, fifty now looks like value, which is crazy. I know it is. Like when we bought Fred for fifty-two million, that was not value, was it? So, like if you can get a boy who could give you ten years worth of work for fifty million quid, and you put him under a, a decent contract, you know his wages won't be extortionate either. You could bring him to the club for. A, for something that would rise over time. Um, but then there's a gamble, isn't it? Because that's, this is what I was saying on Twitter, is that a player like him is a gamble because he's nowhere near the finished product. He is a diamond in the rough. And if you just if you hit if you hit big time and he's your guy, you know, you might look at him and compare him, say, to a Darwin Nunes. And you might say, well, Darwin Nunes wasn't worth that money in the end, but he's going to keep doing it at Liverpool. But Hoyland might be the kind of guy that comes in a similar kind of cash flow money time and and gives you big upside in two, three, four, five years as you as you develop this project. And I think Ten Hag thinks like that. I think he thinks into the future. He doesn't just think about the next game. Yeah, ultimately, I mean, we've been saying for years, United should get away from having to pay record fees for every single player that they sign. The, the question is, like, is this price even now still a little bit too inflated for what Hoyland is and has been? But, you know... Ultimately, that is what football is like nowadays. So we'll see yeah. what United do. Dream scenario for United is they sign two. But obviously, in reality, that might not work out. So uh, I've seen uh, suggestions that obviously Bayern are in to Dusan Vlajevic, but United and Chelsea have been named as interest again mm-hmm. in, in Dusan Vlajevic. We've already covered that on the show. And we've reported of United's interest in him. He's another, another name on the list. But United do not have... Rasmus Hoyland, Harry Kane, Dusan Vlajevic, or anyone for the FA Cup final on Saturday, they have nope. about Veghorst and Marcus Rashford. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> which is, you know, Marcus Rashford might well play through the middle. We'll see. We'll, we'll talk mm. about it in a second. FA Cup final preview. <clears throat> sorry. Pr- final preview section. Rob, City going for the treble. Let's strip away the context. We've done that. How do United line up? Because Anthony Martial is injured. How do United win this game? What would you do? Well, you're going to have to play the counter-press as well as you've ever played it. That's the most important thing here. You're going to have to somehow get the ball off Man City deep because if you let them have the ball in your final third, you're dead. So it's not going to be a mid-block or a low-block. But I do think United, you know, United played this 4-1-5 all season long. It, I think you might see this kind of reversion back to also what we've seen in recent weeks of 4-1-4-1. So you, you've spread across the pitch in the middle of the field and it means that you can counter-attack. So I think the big question there, as you said now, with, with Martial being out. So if Martial was fit, I probably would have started him. But what's happened? Oh, Auntie Martial got injured again. So this is like, the world's most boring story for Man United fans that happens every week with Vancey Martial. It, it means why you might go spend 50 million on a Hoyland because you just needs must. But I think for this game, 
I won't be surprised if we start with Big Val. I, I think we be, might. I would be flabbergasted, honestly. The, like... reason, the reason why, so it's got to jump in. The reason why I think it might be cases because for the first hour of this game, you're going to have to work like a pack of dogs. So normally you do it the other way. I think you'd kind of go with Marshall first, Veghorst 20, 30 minutes, which is what we've seen, isn't it, over time. You could go with Marcus up top, but Marcus is not a very good striker. Marcus is better off the left. But then you look at Anthony. Do we know any more about Anthony's fitness? Is he is he ready? Well, we haven't heard Ten Hag's press conference no. yet, but we have seen pictures of Anthony in a cup final suit. And Training. there was a suggestion last week from Ten Hag that he might be ready. So yes. we wait and see. We currently do not have confirmation on his status, but that is expected yeah, probably so, today. I think if you're going to go brave, Scott, you could go very brave. You go Anthony right, but the lads had an injury, so that's a problem. You could go Jaden left, and you could go Rashford through the middle. I really do not think that Man United are going to start the game off in some kind of quasi four three three. I just don't believe it because there'll be so many gaps on the football pitch that City will dance through you. City are highly motivated to win this game for obvious reasons. You know, they want to win the treble. And what the most important thing is, Scott, here, is that you don't lose the game in the first 20 minutes. Don't go 4-0 down after 20 minutes because it's over and it's done. And that's what happened in the past with United this season is that they've lost games so early. Or they've got to a point in the game like Liverpool where you think, oh, we're in control here, lads. This is all right, isn't it? And then it's like bang, 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 game over, finished. And it all happens very quickly. So United have to avoid that. So this is why Veghorst, who hasn't been able to hit a barn door all season long, if he can run at the back, at the front and push Diaz, the out ball, which is the most important ball at Man City, and actually you'll put pressure on Edison as well with the ball at feet, there's every chance that the counter-press, you just get lucky and it works. So I think that the manager might look at it like that. I don't think Vegor starts at all if Martial is fit. Like, Vegor's on the bench. But this is why tactics mean more than sometimes just our feelings. You know, they mean more than what we feel about a player. Um and I think Rashi off the left is important. I really think Rashford against Carl Walker on that side. Walker's very fast. We know that. But Walker, I think, will deal with Sancho a lot easier than he will with Rashford. It's, it's quite interesting because I completely, I'm completely 180 on that. Go on, then. I, I think, I think <clears throat> what Carl Walker does have is pace and strength. And I think yeah. Marcus Rashford relies on pace and strength to, and, and trickery, obviously, to beat his man. Yeah. I really, I personally think with Martial out, that the threat of pace in behind through the center mm-hmm. is the best bet. And I think somebody like Jaden Sancho, who's a little bit more, you know, slower, but a little bit more tricky, a little bit more intricate than Marcus Rashford is from that side. I think that is how I would go because mm-hmm. I think whether you, it depends where you start Bruno Fernandes and how much you want to stack the midfield. There's a chance. I think Bruno could start on the right um, because they yeah, did definitely. that in the win at Old Trafford. And you have Bruno, you can tuck in a little bit. You know, he can help United's numbers in the midfield because City will flood the midfield with whoever's in there, whether that's John Stones or whoever. A lot of it might depend on what what City end up doing. But I think for me, I look at potentially Sancho starting, Rashford through the middle, Bruno on the right, and you bulk up the midfield potentially. And I don't know how how much you want to bulk it. Do you do you even use Fred and McTominay? <laughs> or do you need an Ericsson in there as well? But I, I don't think you can do Ericsson, Bruno, Casemiro in midfield. Yeah, at all. yeah, I don't, I don't disagree with any of your thinking there. What I disagree with is that to me this is a game of poker. 
So it's a little bit of bluff here. So if you show your hand on, on minute one, Rashford is your guy running through the centre. I think City worked that out pretty quickly. And I think all you'll see is that Carl Walker will invert and cover. That's it. So for me, it's about getting to the 70-minute mark, Scott, and having an opportunity to win the game. That's the most important thing for me, is that you're not going to win it minute one. You can score two goals in the first five minutes through that and, and then lose 6-2. So like I, I look at it in the way that I think that, yes, Rashford is the key here, but Rashford for me is probably not going to get a straight through line ball through the middle because of the way City plays really hard to get that ball from A to Z and think that it will definitely work. It might work later in the game when people are tired, but I think City can manage those things. I think Bruno playing on the right is a good call because I think that Anthony probably isn't ready. Like I don't really want to rely on Anthony in this game when he's had this injury. It's not fair on him to, you know, he does such great off the ball work, doesn't he? But you're going to have to be perfect against Man City and you're going to have to stop the ball getting into your final third. Do you know what I'm scared of, Scott? I'm scared, I'll say it this year, of Jack Grealish just getting that time and space on the right and United being out of shape. Because if United are out of shape and they're not in the correct position, Grealish to the inside and Grealish to either, because I think Foden might feature in this game and I think you might see Mares as well. Those guys are so creative around Haaland that they become the threat rather than Haaland. Like, you don't have to look after Haaland. He just does what he does. Scores 100 goals every game. Yes, yes, yes. It's the rest of the team. You must be perfect. So I want United to start relatively conservatively and I want them to kind of be tight. Counter-attack is going to win you the game, but it's not going to win you the game in the first 70 minutes. It really isn't. Save your, save your energy. Save Marcus and do it later in the game. Then you might do it. It's always about the shape for me. And, and I think it's Man City. You make one little mistake in your shape because you think you can win it that way. They kill you in 10 minutes. Just, the game is over. And that's a unique thing in football because it's not normally like that. Man City are a bunch of killers. And if you let them kill you, then it's on you, isn't it? Then you're just playing 80 minutes, going catch up. Well, we can't win this game now. So you can't win it in minute one, one, but you can win it in the 90th minute. Aim for the latter. How do they stop them in midfield? What, how would you line up in midfield? I, I think is that the days also, Scott, of just clogging the midfield have gone. So this is why I said I don't think you'll see United play a, a mid block or a low block. You know, like I think if you say to Victor Lindelof, yeah, stay deep, man, and stay deep on a... And you've got Casemiro in front of you and that will deal with Haaland. No, it won't. Haaland will score a hat-trick against you. So there's no point. So I think the most important thing, Scott, is that your ball retention has to be clean. So it will mean that Eriksen's in there. Definitely. You need ball retention somehow. And it might mean that, that for that reason that Bruno doesn't start on the right and that you have Bruno a little bit deeper. Now, I know that I talk about Bruno losing the ball all the time, but he's better at holding the ball than McTominay. The other differential, maybe, Scott, is Fred. So I think Fred's played well the last two or three games. Come on, giving United some good minutes. I wouldn't be surprised if they go back to that as a kind of three in the centre, that Fred gives you a lot of the energy, Ericsson gives you the brain, Casemiro does the organisation, looks after the centre-backs and does that kind of spacing. And that's why I think it will be 4-1-4-1. Four, one, four, one. So it'll be those two potentially and you'll have the wire players tucked in a bit and then you'll have one striker up top, which could be Veghorst. So I think that that's, that's the way you do it in the shape. You've got, to, you've got to be able to run and press, Scott, in those first 60 or 70 minutes and make sure that you're looking after those positions. But you also got to make sure you don't lose the football match. I think you and possibly Eric, I, I even put this past Eric Ten Hag nowadays. I think you, Rob, you individually are the only Man United person advocating for, I'm oh, sorry for pointing, 
for Vout to start games. I don't I want him to start. I've seen enough of Veghorst okay. to know that I, I think he's a passenger, personally. I really I do. don't think... Like, I, I'm, I'm purely trying to get inside the brain of our manager. So I do think that he'll replicate a lot of things that worked in the first victory against Man City earlier on in the year. So like you're saying, Bruno on the right might happen. I I, I think that, that the manager's done that enough this year to say that that could happen. I think the thing is with Veghorst is that his big issue is that he can't score. And that's a problem, isn't it? He but, can't run either, Rob. Like, do, I've watched him run. <laughs> you know, he just... It, it looks... I know, I know. Look is not the the most important thing here. I actually don't think he's that effective. Do you think he can run in the press? Do you think he runs better or more better? Is a weird word than Marcus, because that's your choice here. So does Rashford do the press? To me, Rashford doesn't do the press. So like that's the thing. I want Rashford as the guy with the ball on the end of his foot far too easily. Yeah. and that's you know, and, and he doesn't add a goal threat either. That that is, I I, I think Ten Hag has seen enough of Veghorst now to think, oh, I got this one wrong. Yeah, we tried it for a while, and he brings him on in games. When was the last time he started a game? Oh, not forever. But the, the yeah, thing is, I, you, I think that yeah, I think that's and there's reasons. Like, yeah, like when you've stopped scoring goals, it's no point playing him in the league to score goals and no point like he doesn't do that and once you stopped playing the press in the league which is what United did in the last 10 games there is zero reason to play Veghorst but this is not the Premier League this is a one-off game this is a this is a game of chess and you don't move your queen in your first move on the chessboard. You you put all the pawns forward, and Veghorst is a pawn. That's the way I look at him. So, like, if you could say to Veghorst, give me 70 minutes of running, and do you know what I want you to do? I want you to physically deal with Diaz, and that's what your, your only job is. And that when the ball goes wide, your job is to set the trap, because this is what we don't talk about in football. Like These are the things that the managers talk about. If he can set the trap and Rashford can set the trap, you can do Sissi on the counter-press. So I I'm not I'm not advocating Vegos. Like I'm not going, Vegos are going to win you the FA Cup. And well, stop. I hope he does. Like, I mean, that, that I is hope the he does. scenario for me. Like, but I'm saying that if you haven't got Martial, you have not got a lot of choice. You know, like, I don't like Marcus through the middle. I think Marcus is better on the left. I think that Sancho's form in the last few weeks might dictate that he gets a start. But we've seen with Jaden that he is a rabbit in the headlights. When the, when the big occasion comes, he's not always present. So that to me is a worry. And he's not looked brilliant on the left. Like if you go back to that, because Anthony starts on the right, I don't trust that. Not innately. I trust that less than I trust Veghorst in the press. That's the truth. I'm completely opposite. So other people will be the opposite because you go with the exciting option. Like Jaden could do something. I've seen Jaden enough in big games to not to not feel that at the moment. I'd rather Jaden was on the right if he does start. I really would. I think he's been really good for minutes on the right. I've seen something different in him, like a bit of a swagger on the right. Like he carries himself differently on the left. He looks a bit. I don't know. Like I just think that he won't be able to beat uh, Walker one on one on the left. I really just I just don't believe he will. I think, I think anybody will. No, Walker's Personally. aggressive. Walker will just go. You're not informed, mate. I am, and I will run you all day long. Whereas I think Marcus is good enough. To outfox, um, to outfox Walker with a move like Rashi's got some great feet on him when he wants to, and he can make that move and get past him quickly. And it doesn't matter how quick Walker is, and you're you're on them. So that's the way I look at it. I, I I'm not saying Vegorst is is any way the solution, but you literally do not have strikers, so you need to find a way. And, and I don't think Rashford, if you want to press and you want to keep the shape, Rashford is not not the key to beating Diaz one on one because Diaz will just deal with that. He'll just sit back a little bit. And and Ake, they've all got enough pace, Scott, 
to mitigate what Rashford can do through the middle. And that ball's coming from a much further away, isn't it? If you're playing the longer ball through the middle, Edison's on the edge of his box all, all day long. Like, it's just, it's not going to get to him. It's just not going to work. So, for me, United have to have to be really tactically sound. Uh, and, yeah, it could be one last hurrah for Big Val. I personally think that if you play Vout, you are effectively playing with... Uh, no, I'm going to be nice to him. You, you are eliminating an attacking yeah. threat. He can only prove you wrong. Center, you are you are eliminating yeah. an attacking threat. He I don't want him. One, he started one Premier League game <laughs> since <laughs> April 2nd at Newcastle. He started at yeah. West Ham where they lost 1-0 and played terribly. Yeah, He's been on the bench or introduced from the bench in every other game since. I know mm-hmm. it's coincided with Martial's injury, but we have yeah. seen Rashford play through the middle. Yeah, um, But I'm not saying, like, it's Van Pekos' last game. United have made the decision that he's not going to be signed. That's right. They made it a long time ago. Yeah. But I would still love Van Pekos to score the winner. In <laughs> Look, I, I don't want to be contrary to, like, as I said, it sounds like, you know, everyone says this and Rob says that. It's not really like that. I just think that... If I've looked at Vekors the last two or three weeks coming off the bench, and I actually think that when he's come on to do that press work, he's done it pretty well. So you're saying that you feel that he's not mobile or whatever. I actually, for myself, watching them, being there at the games and saying, well, actually, he came on and he did do that bit of the job, even though, yeah, I don't want the ball anywhere near him in the box. He can't score. You know, he had that one, didn't he, in the last game where the ball comes across and he just slashes at it. And you're just thinking, mate, just take a touch and slot it away. Like it's too easy not to score and he missed it. And, he, and I think that's a confidence thing for him. So, but one thing we do know he can do is that he can press and his pressing metrics still look good this year, like much better than any other Man United striker. It's just that the problem is he can't score. And that is a big problem when you're trying to win a game. But Scott, we only need to win one nil. He doesn't need to get the winning goal. Anyone could get the winning goal. Lee Martin got the winning goal in 1990 in the FA Cup final. And we were like, Lee Martin? Oh my God. You know, I think maybe, maybe this is all set up for Garnacho coming off the bench late in no, the game. I agree with off the bench. Late that in the game, you've pressed, you've managed the game, you've looked after the space, you haven't given the ball away frivolously, you've not allowed Grealish to get into the game, you've got Wambasaka on him, you've let you let Haaland do Haaland things, but Varane's had a worldie and stuck to him like glue. And you get to the last 10 minutes of the game, and maybe you did start Sancho, maybe you started someone else, and you bring on Garnacho, and Garnacho gets a one-on-one with the City defence. Give me that. Shoot that into my veins. I want that. That is how you win this football match. You could win it 1-0. Garnacho could write his name in history. Yes, I'm sure we will see. We can win this game. I really believe that. I honestly believe we can win this game. It doesn't mean we're better than Man City. It means you can outthink them on the day, even though they are the most elite team on the planet. I think Ten Hag's got a plan, and I like what he does, and I think that he can work it out. And we just need that bit of luck, Scott. You only need a bit of luck sometimes on cup final day. We'll see how it goes. I'll be there at Wembley to watch United, whatever they do. And uh, we'll hopefully bring you a special episode after the game as well. So keep an eye out for that. Any final thoughts, Rob? No, hopefully we will go straight after the game. You'll see us. So we will either be commiserating and talking about how terrible it was, or we might be talking about one of the greatest moments in Manchester United history. So this is why I'm saying, even though it's a a super big game and huge football match, I think United should just go in there and try and do their work. Do your work, do it well. And I feel all right about it, Scott. I don't know about you. Well, how do you feel about it? I think think United will lose, but I I have some optimism. 
Like, if that makes any sense. Like, yeah. I feel like United can win. I don't think they will. That, now, let's put it that way. Now when in the Champions League and all that rubbish with the Premier League is done and you've worked for it all the way through, now I kind of feel all right about it. I was just like, you know, I thought we, I thought if we'd played Roma the other night, we'd have beaten a Roma or someone like that. Do you know what I mean? A severe in the final. You could have got to that point, but obviously you didn't get there. We should have said a word about Mourinho today, actually, because I wanted to talk about him being ex-Man United. But, um, but uh but yeah, I think that, I think United have got got a good opportunity here because no one thinks they're going to win. That's brilliant. I love that. Be the underdog. Rocky yes. Balboa, rock, rock, one punch. You know, Rocky Balboa from Valtbeckhorst. Let's see. Let's know how would Valty, you Val Balboa? Yes, Valty. That's the one. How would you line <laughs> up in this game? Does Valtbeckhorst not deserve a place? But is he the most effective option? Let us know. He doesn't deserve it. <laughs> it I just know, might be the only thing you've got. <laughs> it's what, whatever happens, this is the last time we'll see Val Veghorst in a in a Man United shirt if he gets on the pitch. Yeah, but yes, uh, thanks for listening, everyone, or thanks for watching. As we said at the start of the show, we will be in Las Vegas at the end of July, twenty eighth to thirtieth, for the Man United Supporters Convention, United Con twenty twenty three. So uh, check out united-con.com for more information. If you would like to join us and come say hello, should be a great few days. Subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcasts and watch us on YouTube twice a week, Tuesdays and Fridays. Head over to the channel, like, subscribe, and leave a comment. Follow us on Twitter as well, at underscore Scott Saunders, at underscore Rob underscore B, and at Promise and MU for the show. That is it from us. Good luck to Man United in the FA Cup final, and we'll see you just after it. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com podcast. Easier said, done.